Let's just go through them. Let's just go through them. Let's just go through them, but skip fan artists because I don't want you both staring at me. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. I'm 100% Switzerland on fanatist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 93rd episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 28th of September in 2023. I am John Coxon. I am Alison Scott. And I am Liz Batty. And finally, finally, we have the response we've all been waiting for, listeners. The match will be occurring. Abigail Nussbaum says... Apologies for not responding in a more timely fashion to your proposed cage match between myself and Chris Garcia. Now I know that being Ocaron on the podcast is essential for matters of honour, I will be sure never to make such a mistake again. As for Chris's challenge, I naturally accept and expect the organising committee at whatever con we both happen to find ourselves at next to spring to action in arranging cage, referee, medical assistance, etc. Best, Abigail. Hurrah! It shall occur! Let's get this happening, people. Strongly suspect the next convention with both Abigail and Chris is Glasgow in 2024. That's the gauntlet for you, Esther. Do we know anyone on the programme team for Glasgow? <laughs> so if this does occur, I would like to be the like ringmaster. Is that what it's called in cage fighting? I want to be the person yelling in the blue corner with several no, fanzines. You don't want to be the ringmaster, do you? Because the ringmaster is like the announcer, is like the referee, and you want to be the announcer. Right. Oh, I don't want to be. Well, I could be the referee as long I, as both I of them like promise to to not Abigail to punch Chris, me. So you could be the referee, John. I'll be the announcer. Listeners, write in with suggestions for a neutral referee to referee this Abigail Chris cage match. You can volunteer yourself if you like. Please come up with the person in fandom who is exactly the average of Chris Garcia and Abigail Nussbaum. I'm not sure they even have referees in cage fighting. I have to say, I don't know very much about cage fighting, but I, I thought part of the point was that there aren't a lot of rules and they just kind of shove them in the cage and let them get on with it. Well, you were the one who brought up refereeing. I just want to do the shouting. And I stand by it. <laughs> Chris says that he's going to buy me a photographer's vest, ruby sunglasses, and cigarette holder, and from this point forward, I shall be Hunter S. Coxon, which mm, <laughs> is very kind of you, Chris. Liz, do you want... You want uh, I'm going to have a photographer's vest I'm looking to get rid of. Do you want, want one of those? No. I mean, maybe Alison needs it to take all her guff stuff on flights with low luggage limits. <laughs> the really funny thing about this is that Liz wasn't in the chat I did yesterday about the seven kilogram carry-on weight limit that I technically have on my trip to Australia and the fact that my carry-on bag cannot possibly weigh less than seven kilograms. It does seem does seem quite harsh. You know, people people pack for a week in a carry-on bag with a seven kilogram weight limit and I cannot pack for 24 hours on a plane. Well, that's just how that goes, right? I mean, fundamentally, the problem is that I do not want to put my laptop into checked baggage and I do te- want to take my ipad on the flight with me and between them they were quite no that is i mean that is into both of those are entirely fair i would not want my laptop I'd, in fact i'm not sure if you're allowed to have your laptop in check baggage because it's got a battery in it but yeah foreshadowing and then he also notes he's never heard Espana sheriff future host of the anger locust podcast origin story so he enjoyed that 
We've got a lot of people saying it was nice to hear Hispania on the pod. Uh, I'm glad everyone liked it. We'll have to put Stephen on the pod sometime. Yes. He also notes, the Hugo packet is now complete. And this is true. So Ersatz Culture noted in Fast 70, I think. I'll try and dig out the link. But the fanzine and fan writer categories have now gone live um, after they were made live unofficially. So it feels like that might have been the impetus that the Worldcon needed to get their act together. But yes, so Chris also reports the Hugo packet is now complete. And then we got a toot of comment from Ersatz Culture, who told us we've been name-checked on Chinese social media by Arthur Liu. And this was very good, because I opened the page, and obviously most of the post that Arthur did was in Chinese, but the two phrases that leapt out at me was the word Oxithorpe and the phrase Chengdu is a shower. And so we have become a term of art in Chinese fandom, which is very pleasing. And we will discuss why now. The thing about the explanation that Chengdu is a shower is that Arthur says, um, by which they mean that Chengdu is a showy peacock who claims all sorts of wonders for the Worldcon but doesn't deliver. And that's not quite what the etymology is, but there we go. I think it's because he's reading it as Chengdu is a shower. Like a show-off? It basically gets to what it is we're talking about, I think, just from a different different route who wants to talk about what happened alison did you ask arthur what he meant or are you just doing it from google translate that's from a machine translation Eh. but i think so ersatz culture in the two did um did note that they had emailed arthur to say that chengdu is a shower refers to a shower of incompetence rather than someone that shows off i think that was uh, a slight misconception but only very slightly because i think the fact that chengdu doesn't have a lot of substance behind quite a lot of things that it's doing and that is quite worrying at this stage which is you know we're only kind of a month four weeks out from the convention now um is kind of worrying we don't have much time to <laughs> we're gonna have to move into chengdu was a shower unless chengdu is a roaring success i hope they're not because we'd have to redraw the art what the discussion has been referring to is that it looks like Chengdu have stopped selling attending memberships, sorry, attending tickets. And it is quite close to the con, so you'd expect them to have some kind of cut-off date. But it sounds like there were people who had applied for fan tables and they didn't know kind of how many people they'd need. And so they were holding off actually, like, getting tickets and now they may not be able to get tickets or they may be able to get tickets but they'll have to buy day tickets instead which could be a bit more hassle but it seems like they have kind of unexpectedly stopped ticket sales without warning anyone and you could understand if they may have you know stopped ticket sales in advance of the con but you should probably let people know when you're going to do that yes and it seems to have made a lot of people in chinese fandom quite annoyed so this isn't us this isn't us wondering whether or not we're applying our view of how it should work to a convention which is from a different culture this is people in that culture being annoyed by a thing the convention has doesn't uh, done and us reporting it which i think is a i think is a good distinction to draw well and also this didn't really annoy people in the west so much because nearly everyone who had any plans to go at all, got their membership by voting last year or has made plans in advance. Because obviously you, you'll have had to apply for your visa by now if you're going and things like that. So 
And there's not that many Western fans going. There are some. I hope you all have a lovely, lovely time. But it was just, it, I found it very nice that I went on a page of Chinese words and I saw Chengdu as a shower and I was like, ah, I've had an impact. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on Chengdu? There's a nice video of the uh, building, which again I got from Earth's Culture, our Chengdu correspondent. Yeah, it looks a lot more finished than I it could have done given some of the shots we saw in kind of uh, June, July. Doesn't look finished, but it looks on the way. It's quite nice. Reminds me a bit of the new mall and train station they built uh, near the World Trade Center with the big swoopy ceilings. Moving from one world con to another, I did a panel for Glasgow in 2024 and it was called Glasgow 2024 presents the media of storytelling print versus screen and uh, I was there with AM Justice and RWW Green and Dan Hanks and it went quite well I think it was interesting chat Um, and I will put a link in the show notes if you would like to watch me moderating a panel or you would like to watch any of those three people being on a panel Um, hurrah I want to Go into a brief non sequitur here, um, which is that I've also done Pints of Science quite a lot, uh, which is where people go to a pub and they hear from scientists in the pub about their research specialties and you talk for about, I don't know, 15 minutes on your research, maybe, maybe a bit long. And then people can ask questions and it's good. But one of the things that has become very obvious over the course of Pint of Science is that the people you're talking to is people that already like science. And so although it's very good for them, it doesn't really help like get the word out about science particularly because you're talking to people who already have what is called in public engagement circles science capital that is people who are already invested in and know a lot about science and i do have to wonder whether or not the glasgow 2024 presents stream is not also talking to people who have what i would say is worldcon capital or perhaps just convention capital but i do wonder how far out of our bubble they break well (laughs) what do we reckon what we reckon well i think these started as an glasgow was bidding during the pandemic and so they couldn't do bid parties so they were looking for something that they could do that was not bid parties and they concluded that online events like panels and talks and and discussions and all sorts of things like that were a great alternative to bid parties for a convention that wasn't bidding and think about bid parties that they are also preaching to people who are already familiar with Worldcon. And I, I feel like this process has carried on from there, but it's also performing a function to to maybe get less well-known authors' names out there and also to give people practice in things like being on a panel and um, panel moderation. And Glasgow's doing quite a lot of good outreach in the Glasgow area. There are a lot of people actively involved in the convention who are not names that are familiar to me from UK fandom or world fandom more generally, but have got involved in fandom through Glasgow. That's their entry point into fandom. And I think that's pretty good. So I think that they're doing outreach in that way. I'm not sure that this particular thing is very outreachy, but the thing about panels on the internet is that they kind of stay there forever. So if one of these neo-authors that they, they're getting along now later becomes incredibly famous people will go off and find that stuff so one of the things that um i think we probably talk about this because we decide we're going to do it 
This year's EasterCon conversation um, recorded almost its entire programme and we've had a sort of think about, well, what we should do about that. And the answer is that we are going to place it with two libraries is the intention, one of which is the Science Fiction Foundation and one of which is FALAC.org, not to be like put up on the internet, but to be available for academic research and things of that kind. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a very good point. It is definitely true. I don't have a feel because I've not, like, this is only the... When London in twenty when blah, when London twenty fourteen started rolling, which must have been like what two thousand and nine ish, I think. Um, I was still relatively new in fandom, so it is not clear to me how much of an impact London had because I didn't really have like a framework for how what to compare it to. Whereas it definitely seems like Glasgow is is getting a lot of people into the community, which I think is like really great. Um, so yeah, that is a good point. And the point about them sticking around for. A, ever is also a very good point because it does i think it does uh give you like a library of things glasgow has done that makes it clear that glasgow is doing things which i think is like good a good feeling to have about a world con and might be the diametric opposite of chengdu in some ways i mean all chengdu are doing is building an entire new facility does that even count but yeah i'm not suggesting glasgow build an entire new facility that'd be crazy chengdu does always give this feeling of being something that is not really of fandom in the way that science fiction conventions normally are. So building a giant <laughs> a giant facility and putting your tickets on Ticketmaster and things like that are kind of an exa- examples of of that. Um that it's it's going to a different slightly different crowd. But that's okay, that's outreach of a different sort. I mean I, I think we are clearly Chengdu has led to more interaction between western sf fans and chinese ones in all sorts of different places and that is absolutely great and probably worth all of the pain just for that really in the long run but then i'm not somebody who's trying to organize the trip of a lifetime to china at the moment to link it all together in a neat bow that is something i've noticed like a lot of the people coming into glasgow are glaswegian people so it's quite nice that glasgow's doing that for glasgow as well everything's great it was i did enjoy the panel so that was also nice and my liaison Pam Livingston was an absolute star and she looked after me very very well so thank you very much Pam you were amazing I don't know if Pam listens but if she does she was amazing and if she doesn't she was still amazing just one more loose thread for this um if people want to go to Pints of Science which sounds like a fantastic thing can you put a link because I think quite a lot of the people who admittedly have science capital but might like that sort of thing are science fiction fans Yes, yes, that is fair. I'll put a link in the show notes. They tend to be in May. So I have brought this up at almost the worst possible time, being as how it is four months since May and eight months till next May. It's fine. Our listeners are literate, or organised people and have calendars and can set reminders and we'll definitely not forget about this. So we should probably start by saying we're not going to talk about novel because we're going to do an entire episode on novel after the voting deadline. What's your best pick in novella? Go. Oh, we're doing it up backwards. Um, I've only read one of them so far. Which one? Into the Riverlands. Any good? Really disappointing, actually. Boo. Um, because the first one in the in the Nevor series I really liked and picked as a pick, and this one just doesn't add anything new. I've read the first two and they're great, but I haven't read the third one yet. Alison, what about your novella reading? Um, my novellas are on my Kobo, all six of them ready for my 24-hour play journey. 
Going to read them all on the plane. Yeah, no, I also have not read. i got to be honest, my Hugo reading this year has been... I have not slacked, but like I just haven't got as far as I usually do. I'm not sure why. Um, so I haven't read any novellas or novelettes. Have either of you read any novelettes? I have read two of the novelettes. I don't particularly want to vote for either of them, so I'm hoping one of the other four will grab me better. I've read all the novelettes except the Space Time Painter because it's not translated and I tried Google Translate and I think I'm missing lots. Yeah, Google Translate's much better for non-fiction, for like fanzine content and and reportage than it is for fiction. I think it's really, really hard for fiction. Yeah, no, the best one I think is probably the John Chu, which I know John likes. I also write, you know, like Marie Fibbert. Okay, those are two I've read. Those are the two best ones. Oh, great. Okay, so I, I think the John Chu is fine. I the, the... Whoa! Yeah, wrong head. I have a real problem with science fiction books that don't have science fiction content and... It's got a Superman. When was the last time you met Superman, Alison? No, no, no. And The Mary Vibbert is a science fiction story that doesn't have science fiction content. The science fiction content is entirely separate from the actual plot and consequences of this thing, which is about... Well, I mean, you know, it's it, it's a perfectly good story, but it's, but, but its science fiction background is, is just window dressing for it. I'm going to be interested to see if you like the S.L. Huang, which is kind of fiction in the form of a fake non-fiction article, which links to lots of footnotes about real AI things in order to discuss AI. And as a story, it's like it's not a story. And it kind of is like, well, I don't want to read a story which is full of footnotes about things I already know about, because it just feels like, why am I reading this article telling me about like the heartbleed bug? Where is the science fiction? So I'm quite baffled why it's on the shortlist. Well, you've got to remember, I think novelette and short story both have like really long tales, don't they? So I think I think it can be that there's like 50 stories nominated and one or two nominations can take something up. Yeah, that's true. I have read If You Find Yourself Speaking to God, Address God with an Informal You, uh, and I did enjoy it muchly. So, um, you know, I would be happy to vote for it. But I haven't read the others, but I do intend to read the others. On short story, the only one I've read was Rabbit Test, which I thought the first half was superlative and the second half sort of just sort of petered out to a close. Having said that, I haven't read the others. So, like, what do you think? I know Liz loved Rabbit Test, if I recall. I do think the first half's very good. I've read five of six and Rabbit Test is the best. I think Rabbit Test is like the gorilla in this category. Everyone thinks it's a shoo-in. People think it is an outstanding story of its time. It was okay. I'm, I'm, pro- I'm hard to please. I'm sorry. Series, should we say a bit about series? Because I feel a little bit more um, qualified to vote in series than I normally have, as I have read books in four of the six things and, yeah, quite like them. I think I've read the entire of four of them and most of a fifth and nothing of a sixth, so, which is very unusual for me. What's getting your series vote, Liz? Robert Jackson Bennett, because it's a finished series, so he's got no chance of being nominated for this again, and I really liked it, as mentioned many, many previous times. Um, I feel like, you know, Adrian Tchaikovsky is bound to be back again with a different series. I do feel a bit bad about Rivers of London because it's been nominated before, I think, and, you know, there's a gap before the next possible nomination, but it will be there, and... The Naomi Novik is also in uh, Lone Star. I also, I'm, pr- 
probably think the Founders trilogy is the best one of those, but it's very tight. So I quite like the Locked Tomb, even though it's not finished. We could always wait until it's finished and then and then vote for it once it's finished. I don't think you can. But next year is our chance to vote for Brits. So I think next year my ballot is going to be absolutely stuffed with British nominations and votes for British finalists because I am a, a terrible, terrible nationalist in this regard. I don't think you can vote for the Locked Tomb again. No, I think Liz is right because I don't think there'll be enough extra words added. So I think this is probably, unless she writes a fifth novel, which I think would be a mistake. Why can't I vote for the Locked Tomb again? Because because you have to have at least 200,000 words added. So unless the next volume is twice the length of the previous volumes, it won't be eligible next year. In that case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for the Locked Tomb, which I like quite a lot, even though, oh God, known as a pile of poo, but never mind. Um. I will vote for The Children of Time because it's the best one and you're the wrong ads. Is that helpful? Incisive criticism. It's very good. It's going to be second on mine, so... I'm also halfway through Foundryside by Robert Jackson Bennett at Liz's request. So my pick is just to say, it does seem to be quite good. It seems to be the sort of fantasy I like and I'm really loving it. And also, after reading the Hugo novels, reading something where somebody had put a lot of thought into world building was really a great tonic. And I like that because <laughs> there's a lot of world building in this novel. Foreshadowing for next episode. Yes. I will say, so I'm going to say something which sort of foreshadows our novel discussion so put it this way i think foundry side and i think children of time are way better than anything that's in the novel category this year <laughs> is that is that unreasonable like if i was looking reader listener for the best science fiction that is on the hugo ballot this year i think two of the best science fictions are in series and i think probably none of the best science fictions are in novel so that's like a hot take yeah okay that that's that's our hot take because Series, the good thing about the Hugos. No. <laughs> However, not a great year for novel. And then, graphic story. I've not read any of the graphic stories in this category, but I'm going to pontificate anyway. I've read, I've read previous installments of Once and Future, Monstrous and Saga, and I do not understand. Like, they're just not very good. And like... This is the category every year that I'm like, I don't understand what the Hugo Electorate sees in any of these. Like, I read quite a lot of comics, but like, these are not my comics. Um, so I feel like, and I, to the point where I'm like, maybe I just, maybe this isn't a category I should pay attention to because like, clearly I am so out of step with what the Hugo Electorate thinks about this art form that it's not useful for me to try and chime in. Um, what did you guys think? Either of you read any of these? I've read one of them. Was it good? Which is one some future. I mean, I like it, so yes. I, I think it's a bit of a step up from the first three volumes because it's where things start to come together a bit out of like a planned five-volume sequence. It gets less episodic. I think like the character relationships, um, particularly between Duncan and his grandmother, are quite well done and quite coming together. And I like how colourful the art is in a lot of kind of the other world bits with the knights. I do think if you haven't read one, two and three, you're gonna to be totally baffled by volume four, but could be the same for Salgram Monstrous. Fair. I have one comment on the graphic novel shock list, which is that I look at something called Dune, the official movie graphic novel, and it strikes me that the amount of weight this is carrying from previous texts is so great 
and the likelihood that this is just um, pictures and scenes of from the movie rendered in graphic novel form seem very great to me, and it seems unlikely that it's going to be a shining example of the genre. Um, and if I'm wrong about that, I'm very sorry, guys. Uh, right, best related work. Terry Pratchett one's going to win. Haven't read any of them. Any further <laughs> comments on this? I will read the Terry Pratchett one because I am very interested to read it. Um, and Blood, Sweat and Chrome, I feel like if any of the others are going to win... Well, it depends. I don't know. I'm So I guess I'm discussing all of this as if the main voting block is going to be Western. But obviously, if it, the main voting block is Chinese, there is a quite significant chance that Chinese Science Fiction and Oral History Volume 1 might take the prize. Is that book in English? I don't think it is, but I might be wrong. Because I'm quite interested in Chinese Science Fiction and Oral History. That would be, be jolly interesting to read, wouldn't it? And also I note that it's published by Chengdu Times Press, so it might have a home field advantage even beyond just being Chinese. But what I don't know, looking looking at the nominations, I, what I can't tell is whether or not the number of Chinese nominators was higher than the number of Western nominators, but they nominated more widely, or whether it's lower. Because I think you could explain the nominations either way. And so I'll be fascinated to see how much of an effect it has at the voting. But um, But yes... I I don't suppose it will win, but I want to have a little nod for Buffalito World Outreach Project because I think the actual model there where you take something and you try to put it into as many human languages as you possibly can is really quite interesting. I don't know how many languages it's in. A lot. Many. It's a nice project. Should I give it a Hugo for having a lot of translations? I don't know. I mean, I also argued that is noticeable for its you know, primarily for its fictional text. And so you have to be awarding the aspects of it which are not the fictional text. And so for the Buffalito Project, all I can, you know, vote for is, you know, well done, you got it translated. I cannot tell if any of the translations are high quality translations. Are they well done? Do they add something? I can just say, well done, it's been translated. Yeah, <clears throat> that is fair. I, I, I feel... That's the problem, right? I feel spectacularly unqualified to make a judgment as to how notable it is in some ways. I, I keep thinking about there are a lot of countries in which there's essentially no science fiction. Um, I'm not sure whether this is necessarily the best thing to get translated into those languages, but anything that we can do to get SF to people who literally aren't reading any of it because there is none is a good thing in principle. Yes, I think... I think I agree with that. Best dramatic presentation. I would argue that this is another category that has some of the best science fiction on this ballot in it. And I think those two things are Severance and Everything Everywhere All at Once. And those will be at the top of my ballot. Uh, very, very closely followed by Turning Red and distantly trailed by Black Panther 2 and Avatar 2. What do you think? I, I absolutely agree with that, except go on. Severance or everything everywhere all at once we discussed this already I'm, I'm i'm very definitely on the severance train and i think you are on the everything everywhere train dithering a bit yeah it'll be those two I haven't decided yet right i would rather i think i would rather severance win it because everything everywhere got an oscar so i kind of think it's already doing well enough whereas like i'd quite like severance to get more recognition and i know that's a daft way of framing it but that's just how it is in my head shout out to cora bullet here who said that she hadn't watched severance because she doesn't really like office dramas and and cora i'm sorry for telling tales out of school but that is one of the biggest laughs i've had this year so you know it got on the pod liz where are you on that 
I'm probably with John in that I don't know if everything everywhere all at once needs more awards and it is really good but I like Severance a lot as well I haven't got around to watching Nope which is the one I hope to get to before the deadline I think Nope is very very good but it is not as it is worse Jordan Peele's films have been going down in quality which is to say he's been going from like a 5 out of 5 to a 4.75 out of 5 to a four and a half out of 5 so that he's still maintaining an astonishingly high quality but I will say like if you've seen Get Out if you'd put Get Out below Severance you can safely put Nope below Severance and if you've seen if you haven't seen Get Out watch Get Out instead of watching Nope Get Out is amazing that is that is the Coxon view yeah I think it's a tough year like I can see a year in which Nope might be the front runner yeah I mean, I was annoyed. I can't remember what Get Out lost to when it was on the ballot, but I, um, I, I, I thought Get Out deserved a Hugo, like unequivocally. I just thought it was an absolute masterpiece. So, um, and I do think that's why I said, like, I think this is one of the categories where the quality in this category is top notch, and the other one where the quality is super high, I think, is Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form, in which I will be voting for Andor and Andor. Hmm. Which way round am I putting the Andors is the question I find myself. I feel very embarrassed about this because I have not yet watched For All Mankind and I think it's probably very good indeed because it's got a relatively small audience and nevertheless it's getting its finding its way onto the ballot. But yeah, One Way Out for me, Rick's Road is definitely below One Way Out, which is, I think, oh, I just thought it was fantastic. That's fair. Liz, what do you reckon? I'm just looking at what Get Out lost to. Wonder Woman. It lost to what? Wonder Woman. Yeah, no, fuck that. Like, I was outraged at the time and I'm still outraged. Get Out is in every way a better movie than Wonder Woman and everyone who voted for Wonder Woman should be ashamed of themselves. Mic drop from John. I So One Way Out is the Andor episode where they have the chanting One Way Out and Rick's Road is the end episode. They are both fantastic. Uh, I, I genuinely, it might come down to just how I'm feeling on the day. And then I think probably, I think I've not seen Stranger Things 4 and I haven't, I don't think I've gotten up to Stranger in a Strange Land for all mankind. Um, so I'll probably put Babylon's Ashes next, but I'd be astounded if Andor doesn't win it. I, this is another one where if Andor doesn't win it, I will be ashamed of the Hugo Electorate. It'll be another get out year for me. I've seen them all and Andor is the best. You say for all mankind must be great, but it's pretty good, but with some really annoying things in it. But it does appeal absolutely directly to, you know, space program nerds. So that's it. Okay. So that's why it's getting on the Hugo ballot is that space program nerds really like it. And there's a lot of those. It's pretty good. And it has some great episodes, although I don't think the one nominated this year is as good as the one last year. But once it's got momentum, it's going to be on there. Um, I think it's third or fourth best on that list. I, I think For All Mankind is not as good at the expanse. I'm, I, I don't know how common that opinion is. Well, we are very bogged down in the, the expanse, so. Yeah, they're different. We kind of watch an episode and go, oh, we really like that. And then we watch the next one and we go, oh, this episode is entirely political man- manipulations that are not obviously forwarding the science fictional bits of the plot. Ah, if if you if you feel that way about the expanse, I am now extremely curious how you will feel about For All Mankind. 
and i love for all mankind one thing i will say about it which is why i like it less than the expanse is that several of the scenes i have to watch by being in a different room and hearing the tv because i can't actually watch them because they are too excruciating and like i find it incredibly difficult to actually like it, like watch it's, it's really it's a very intense show for me for all mankind yes for all mankind you have to watch it from another room wow okay the bit where, um, I can't say it, but like there are, in every episode, there is usually at least one sequence where a character does something and I can see how it's going to go and I'm like, I can't watch this happen. What's it, secondhand embarrassment? I suffer secondhand embarrassment very acutely. See, I normally do, but for all mankind, it's fine. Yeah, that's fair. Best editor categories, no one knows what editors do. Editors are a mystery. None of us are voting. Next categories, any, <laughs> any follow-ups on that, guys? No, that's fair. Best professional artist. I will confess, I haven't looked yet, but it is one of the uh, one of the categories I always vote in because, like, it doesn't take long to look at the pictures and be like, I like those pictures best. Yes, though I'll say the same that's for fan artists is that what I care about is how well the artist is representing the book, and unless I have some familiarity with the book, it can be quite hard to tell. Semi prosine. I'll be putting uncanny at the bottom because I don't want them to win another Hugo. Uh, I'll probably be putting Escape Pod at the top, not because I have a good example of like their output, but because I like Escape Pod, and I think like one day it should probably win a Hugo for Best Semi Prosing because like it has been very consistently good. Yeah, so so I don't like I don't like fiction podcasts. I don't listen to fiction podcasts either, but they are actually not just podcasts. Being able to tell whether something is notable is not quite the same as liking the thing it is notable for doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I'm not going to start listening to fiction podcasts to find out what's good, right? Alison is still eating a croissant. I'm still eating a croissant, I'm sorry. We're going to avoid discussing fanzine, fancast and fan artist because obviously various of us are nominated in each of those three categories. None, nonetheless, obviously all of them are chock full of excellent people and we recommend you consume all of them thoroughly prior to voting. Yeah, but do vote. Do support the fan categories. I think we haven't quite managed to get rid of the minimum votes requirement yet. I think it gets ratified this year and will be gone next year. But meanwhile, we still need you to vote, guys. Yes, agreed. Even if you vote no award, please vote. Arthur Lou's obviously getting John's vote because he mentioned Dr. Thorpe. No, um, fan writer, Bitter Corella, who is the highlight of my social media feeds every time they publish ever anything i love their elon musk he is the funniest character in all of fiction just oh my goodness so good so good and i was introduced to her through the hugo ballot last year because i hadn't come across her before that but she is great right and then lodestar i have read two and a half of these well i've read one so go ahead john um, okay, so I read A Cat Woman, which I thought was thought it was it was good up until the ending where randomly COVID happens and there's a lockdown and it talks all about that and then the characters continue having their adventure outside anyway. And I was like, I don't know what message it is you're trying to send by including this in your book. Bloodmarked, I'm halfway through. Very conflicted about Bloodmarked, because on the one hand it is an attempt to take Arthurian legend and explore what it would be like if it had black women in it but on the other hand it there's a lot of proper nouns it's that kind of fantasy and i don't hate it but i'm not sure it does much that interests me 
but the 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 kind of racial components are really really interesting so it's kind of like half incredibly in my wheelhouse and half kind of very by the numbers uh and i kind of find it hard to disentangle those and then i read the golden enclaves by naomi novik which i thought was good at the moment i'd probably put blood marked at the top but um i'm not sure i've got enough like of a view of the category yet so I'm deprioritizing this category because I increasingly find that I am now so far away from being a young adult that a lot of young adult fiction really annoys me. So I'm not sure I'm actually going to get around to reading any of these before the voting deadline. Last year, Lodestar had two of my favourite books on the ballot in it. Um, so I do often read Lodestar because I do think that sometimes it has some real gold in it. I'm just not sure I've come across the real gold yet. Obviously, there would be some amazing young adult books. I haven't read in The Serpent's Wake, but I do normally like books by Rachel Hartman. So, And then Astounding. I've read the Travis Baldry book, and I'm sure I've read the Everina Maxwell that got um, got them on the ballot last year, which I think was the kind of um, romance novel, which I uh, very much enjoyed. A kind of interesting look at colonialism. But yes, I'm not sure I've got a very good view of this category. Either of you? Isabel Kim has put a a package of her short stories in the Hugo packet, and I've now had a couple of reports from people going, oh my God, these are amazing. Yeah, Isabel Kim's, uh, I nominated one of her short fiction pieces from Strange Horizons, which is a much more interesting take on AI art, I think, than some of the other ones. Yeah, and I've read the Everina Maxwell as well, the first novel, the, you know, fake dating, let's huddle for warmth in a cabin one, (laughs) as I think of it. Yeah, I think at the moment I vote for Kim first, then maybe Maxwell, but I have to do a bit more research in this category. Okay, I think that's everything. Alison, you're going on Juff. I am. I'm literally Juff. Yeah, because it's like Jif, isn't it? It must be pronounced the same. Juff. Um, so it's Gif anyway, um, and I'll die defending it and also Guff. Chris Garcia is going to write in. Chris Garcia always writes in. That was a pretty straightforward prediction, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I don't bet on things that aren't sure outcome. I mean, if you didn't get a letter from Chris, you'd check your spam buckets, right? Tiki's still alive. I'd message him to make sure he was okay, yeah. But yes, guff. It's all go. Sorry, it's all Joe. Yeah, so literally getting on a plane before this episode comes out. By the time this episode comes out, I will be in Australia. I'm taking an enormous amount of tech with me. I don't know how that happened. It doesn't seem like me at all. Um, but I'm taking a number of... I'm taking a 3D camera and I'm taking a 360-degree camera and I'm taking a telephone. Guess which one's going to get the most use as a camera? And I'm taking a microphone so that I can record a couple of issues of Octothorpe while I'm in Australia and New Zealand. Um, so we better do that, guys. We haven't actually sorted out exactly when we're going to do it, but we will. And um, yeah, there's just whole boxfuls of tech. And I carefully packed it up to make sure it all fitted. And then I remembered that we were recording today. So I had to carefully unpack it and set up to record. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's amazing. I have started thinking about I'm not administering guff yet but i've started thinking about how you can support the fan funds and one of the ways you can support the fan funds is by getting me to send you a postcard and i will send you handwritten postcards from australia or new zealand um probably from australia for a donation of five pounds or more to guff um which you send to guff europe at gmail.com by paypal 
Um, if you can't do it that way, then get in touch and we'll find another way you can pay. And um, they come in four flavours, which are kind of picture postcards of Australian things, um, which are at the £5 level. And the other thing is £5 level is a photo of me on the guff trip, but the, that won't be a handwritten postcard. That'll be kind of sent from a internet postcard sending service. And at the £10 level, you can have a um, special and unique, well, not unique because there's going to be a few of them, but um, special card that's been designed for the guff trip um and the other 10 pound level is special special requests like could you send it from new zealand and could you have one with lego on it and things of that sort they cost 10 pounds um and yeah please please um please support guff because this trip's going to be amazing and um it's also going to cost a fortune very sorry guys but i will report back there'll be lots and lots and lots of guff reports how much would it cost to get a postcard made of it, Lego? You could get them on the Lego store, and I think they're about 20 quid. Oh. And there is an Australia, there's a Sydney one, there's an Australian one. Good. Have fun. Have lots of fun. Yes. And I am meeting lots of fans. And this is, once again, if you're in a place I'm going and we haven't already agreed to meet up, then please get in touch and we'll sort that out. I've reached, I've, I've reached out to as a lot of people at this point but i'm sure i've missed some people and i'm sure there's people out there that i don't know about i do want to hang out that was the odd sort podcast and it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me When I was young, there were movie tie-in novels, and very occasionally one of them was good, but most of them were not good at all. But I suppose 90% of everything is crap, so, you know. I did quite like the movie tie-in novel for Solo, uh, which was written by Mer Lafferty, because there is a brilliant scene where Chewbacca and Lando discuss hair conditioning advice, and that scene was worth reading the novel. Like, because it just makes perfect sense. Chewbacca's like, I've got to get all this out of my hair. Who is the person to talk to about personal grooming? That guy. Fucking no notes, 10 out of 10. I mean, it's definitely not Han, isn't it? So. <laughs> exactly, right? The theme music for this episode was Surf Shimmy by Kevin McLeod and Combatech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.